TFA. It's great to see all of you. It's really great to see all of you. Thank you, praise team. Amen. Boy, I tell you what, I, I feel like I'm drawn to like three or four life groups here. Not the one with the oils, but, uh, you know, maybe we could go to Kara's to see how to budget for the oils. Right, Brenda? That'll help us budget for the oils. Amen. Paul has worked himself up to a, an allowance. Um, an allowance. Yeah, he's, he's worked his way up to an allowance. Look out. Look out. You must be doing something good to get that kind of benefit. I remember the first time I asked my dad, I heard kids at school talk about allowance, and I said, hey, uh, so-and-so said something about an allowance. And he said, really? Yeah, they get like 2 or $3 a week. He said, okay. Who does your laundry? Uh, Mom. Okay, do you pay her for anything doing like that? Who cooks your food? I said, she does. Do you pay for the food? Said, that's a pretty good allowance, isn't it? I said, sure is. That's a really good allowance. <laughs> so, uh, boy, I tell you what, that'd be a great, if you struggle with uh, doing a family budget, boy, that's a great group to get in. Um, so, well, it's good to be back. It feels like it's been a month. It's good to see Billy back. Thanks for being here. I didn't know you were just going to do all this to welcome us back on getting back. But uh, thanks to Brad for preaching last Sunday. I, I listened to the podcast and a great message. Listen to Nora the Wednesday uh, that we were out. <clears throat> um, uh, if, if you're not aware, yet tomorrow, two weeks ago, we drove over to Augusta, Georgia. And our son is moving to Snoqualmie, Washington. Uh, it's a beautiful place. It's uh, near Seattle, Washington. Just almost 3,000 miles we logged in a 26-foot U-Haul truck. Headed out about, we loaded it on Tuesday, left about 4.30, made it to Chattanooga, and the rest of the way out to Washington State, almost 3,000 miles. Um, and Jason and I unloaded the truck by ourselves. He had hired a couple of young guys, strong back guys, to carry the heavy stuff, to pack it. So it was up to Jason and I to carry it out. So I didn't know I had it in me, but we made it without chiropractor sign up or anything. You know, I'm, I'm ready to go. But uh, Brenda and I was supposed to be in town yesterday or Friday night. And uh, Friday morning when I got up to uh, uh, do some reading, I saw an alert pop up on my computer. The flight from Chicago to Birmingham has been canceled. And I was like, no. That was my reaction. No. Can't be. I'm ready to go home. But uh, we had to stay an extra day. And we got back in Birmingham, what, about 10, 15 last night. Got to bed about midnight. So she's okay if she starts dozing off. I don't have any problem. In fact, if you want to take you a little nap while I'm preaching, go right ahead. Because I think, I, I, yeah, you know, I'll give you permission, Andrew. I, fig, I figured if somebody can get a nap while I'm preaching, at least they're getting something out of the sermon. 
How's that? I want to take you to First uh, Peter chapter two, if you want to turn there. And First uh, Peter chapter two, we're going to be reading from that. I'm not going to start right there, but I'm just going to reference a few things. Um, I also want to thank Nora for filling in uh, the Wednesday night. The, the first Wednesday night we were not here, and then uh, Paxson and Sabrina Metcalf filled in last week. And um, I'm eager to hear that podcast. Um, we have such a great team around here. The praise team, greeters, teachers, child care workers in the back. Some of them are out of sight. You don't know that they're there, but we can't function without all the people working so hard to, to serve us every Sunday. And uh, here we are 19 days into 2020. Um, finished 2019 on such a high note. We were really praying and, and uh, believing God for at least 30,000. And we went past that on our debt retirement. So, um, hallelujah. More of our resources are going to be going to take off the debt than to pay interest. I don't mind paying interest to the assemblies of God, but I think we've paid enough. So, <laughs> I'm ready to move on. Uh, one of the great truths, uh, I, the title that you have in, in the handout is An Open Door. And I kind of... Gave it that title so that I wouldn't give away the exact uh, title of what I'm going to be sharing. It is a result of what I'm about to share, the, and it's also the cause, an open door. Um, when Jesus died on the cross, something unique happened in the temple. You remember? And it's not a, some incidental reference about what happened there. There was an earthquake, uh, different things was going on, but the writer specifically said that in the holy place, the heavy veil that shielded the most holy place that could only be accessed once a year by the high priest, that veil was ripped from top to bottom which symbolized that the whole structure of how God is approached changed. No longer is the presence of God in the Shekinah glory of God over that Ark of Covenant. It has now been opened up, an open door. Jesus, as the priest, has now opened up the presence of God for all of us to access. Isn't that amazing? Not just once, and, and the book of Hebrews goes to great lengths. Jesus is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the King of Israel. He's the King of the whole world. But in the 33 years that he lived on this earth, he didn't look like a king, and he didn't do king stuff. And this is why people just like, Pilate said, well, they're saying you're a king, but you don't look like a king. What kind of king are you? He says, my kingdom is not of this world. It's of a different world. But the one thing that Jesus did in his death and resurrection was assume the permanent priest, the one mediator. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy this great statement. He said, there is one mediator between God and man, and it is the man, Christ Jesus. So when Christ opened the door to the presence of God, he is a, a priest after the order of Melchizedek, and it says he's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
So here's a little note on the priesthood as it looked like in the Old Testament. And keep this in mind as we go forward in the message. A priest is required to act as a mediator. That's one of the things that always came about when you look at the definition. A priest is required to act as a mediator. He is the one who represents the divine being, God, to his subjects, and he return from them to God. He represents the people to God, but also represents God to the people. He acts as an ambassador, a chosen vehicle through whom Yahweh God is chosen to serve the people and represent him on his behalf. So in regard to Christ's priesthood, something happened that moment he died that opened up access to the presence of God. Now, I wanna, I'm going to show you a couple of movie clips in just a moment. I'm going to preface before Shane pulls them up. And thank you, Shane. Thank you, Shane, for doing the podcast. I just want to make sure that you know that he works to put these podcasts. We've had a little trouble with the volume. We're trying to resolve that. So he's taken them home and uh, edited the volume up. But I tell you, when we're out of here, I love the podcast. I don't listen to my podcast because I don't, I, I just, I don't know. I'm too self-critical. No, it's just audio. You have to get it on the um, uh, TFA app. So you could probably put that up. I think we have a, a slide up that you could access the podcast. You have to, if you got a, a computer uh, device and or anything like that, you can bring it up on a Wi-Fi system. Um, but what I want to share with you is a couple of clips from a movie about a man by the name of Jan Hus, and Brenda loves these kind of medieval movies. Uh, she she. I'll just leave it at that. How about that? Uh, this, is a, this is a forerunner to Martin Luther. And I think the one thing that it seems like to me that we're just um, a little negligent is church history as a whole. We, we just don't study church history. And, and we live in the benefits of church history. I don't know if you realize us being here in this setting and worshiping the Lord in this setting came about through church history. Because John Huss is one of the first people that really challenged the papacy, the Roman system of the Catholic Church. He was a priest. He was Catholic. He, was, uh, he lived in Prague of what is present-day Czechoslovakia. Back then it was known as Bohemia. And um, what you're about to see is when he's around 43 to 46 years of age, and the difference is that they're not really sure what year he was born. But we're talking about 1415, though, is when he was martyred. He's a, either 43 to 46 years of age. The charges brought against him had to do with that he was teaching the people there at the Bethlehem Chapel in Prague that Christ is the head of the church. And that was a no-no. He was also teaching them to sing songs in their native tongue, which was a big no-no. And he taught them that they could access the presence of God. And so he was brought charges about heresy, and what they did to him is going to be carried out in this movie. And I want you to just see the couple of clips, and I'll uh, comment more after these clips. This sacred synod recognizes that John Huss is obstinate and incorrigible, 
and is unwilling to recant the heresies and errors publicly defended and preached by him. For these reasons, this council does hereby declare that John Huss be deposed and degraded from the priestly order and from the other orders by which he has been distinguished. Said degradation is to be carried out forthwith in the presence of this council according to the order required by law. This sacred synod of Constance, seeing that the church has nothing more it can do with John Huss, relinquishes him to secular judgment and decrees that he be given over to the secular court to be burned at the stake as a heretic. May thy infinite mercy, O oh my God, pardon this injustice of mine enemies. Yet, O oh my God, let that mercy of thine prevail. from the face of the earth. Cursed is the ground you have walked on. John Huss, we commit your soul to hell. And I commit my spirit into thy hands, O Lord Jesus, for thou hast redeemed me. That actually happened just like that. They when you excommunicated in the Catholic Church, you're excommunicated out of the kingdom of God. And uh, what you see next is the carrying out of that uh, verdict. John Huss, this is your last chance to recant and abjure all your errors. I call God to witness that all I have written and preached has been to rescue souls from sin. 
There can be no turning back. My Lord walked the paths of truth and duty, even though it took him to Calvary. Can I, one of his humble followers, turn back now to witness to God's truth is more important than life. Joyfully, then, will I confirm with my blood all the writings and preachings of truths that I've held. Into thy hands, O Lord, I commit my spirit. Thou Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, Thou Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, Thou Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, Thou Son of David, was 1415. I will give you a name if you are interested in church history. It's Ryan Reeves. He's done a number of videos on different characters. This one, Martin Luther. It's interesting that the church decided that whatever ashes was left of John Huss would be thrown into the river so that no one would memorialize this man. He packed out the Bethlehem Chapel because people were drawing something from his messages. They were drawing something from his truth. hundred years after John Huss was martyred, Martin Luther, a reformer, nailed 95 theses to the Wittenberg Castle door in objection to the sale of indulgences and other things of the church. When Martin Luther was interviewed for the first time, in a setting of interrogation, he introduced himself as a Hussite, a disciple of John Huss, which sent the room into great disturbance. Now, I, wanna, I, I, I don't know if you have the PowerPoint that I added up there. I want to show you something because you might not have ever heard of John Huss. Jan Huss, as some pronounce his name. But this is in the town square of Prague in Czechoslovakia, and that is a statue of John Huss. And it was put there in 1915 on the 500th anniversary of his martyrdom. The linkage between John Huss and Martin Luther and John Wycliffe and all of these is inseparable. They all influence each other. Another thing about history, I know that Monday is Martin Luther King's birthday, and it's his holiday, holiday to um, recognize his role in civil rights. I don't know how many in this room know this, but Martin Luther was not his given name. 
Who knew that? A few, just a handful of people know that. <clears throat> Martin Luther King is his family name. His dad went to Germany to visit Germany and was so impressed with the history of Martin Luther, he came back and legally changed his name to Martin Luther and changed the name of his young son to Martin Luther Jr., Martin Luther King Jr. You see how church history is intertwined with so much. And the reason I just think we're so lacking in delving into our, the basis of how we've arrived here and it's kind of underappreciated, just like the truth that I'm about to share with you. The, the, the truth that I really want to share with you is this, and it's found in 1 Peter chapter 2, and that is the priesthood of the believer. Christ is the one mediator between God and man. This is why when you look in Ephesians and it says, and he's given some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers... The one thing you will not find in the office ministry is priest. You never hear of priests mentioned in the New Testament church. But you do hear just a few times priesthood mentioned. And Hebrews only mentions it three times, and it's all in relationship to Christ and the priesthood that he is now the permanent priest of. But the other two times... Rarely is it mentioned in the New Testament. It's in this chapter of 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to take you there, and we're going to read a, a, a good portion of it. Remember, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, There's one mediator between God and man, and it's the man Christ Jesus. We all come to God through Jesus. Now watch how Peter writes this out. And it's kind of interesting that Peter is called the first Pope of the church, and, and that's, just, that's just hearsay because that's not the way Peter looked at his life as head of anything. He is apostle. But listen to how he writes, and, and again, he's writing to uh, believers that's, that's been scattered about Pontus and Galatia and different Cappadocia places, and he's writing to church people who have been scattered about. So this is what he says. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now, how many of you know that you can grow up in your salvation? Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to Him, listen how these connections work. As you come to Him, Jesus, the living stone, Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You may not have realized it this morning, but as you worshiped, you were worshiping as a priest. As a priesthood, you was offering this sacrifice of praise to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, and he's talking to us who believe, this stone is precious. Peter might be writing to Christians, first century Christians scattered about, but he's also writing to us. 
Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. To those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobeyed the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Twice Peter uses a word. It's almost like it's out of place priesthood. It's like it belongs in the Old Testament. First time is, first time is in verse 5. You are being built up as living stones. Think about this. The one living cornerstone, we're connected to him and we become alive through him. So we're being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, entering into the presence of God that the veil rip allowed us to access the presence of God, offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Christ Jesus, who's the head of the church, the cornerstone, the one mediator. Do you realize how much this is underappreciated? Our approach to God? Here's where I think, the ch why did the church do this to John Huss? Why did they go after someone like that who was simply ministering to people? What was going on there? It seems as though information and truth scares certain people. When they have control of minds and make no mistake about it, at the heart and soul of communism is atheism. And that's why atheistic countries like North Korea, like the Soviet Union used to be, to get Bibles into the Soviet Union, you had to smuggle them in. Why? Because the Bible is a powerful truth to a person that re releases them the control of the communist country. They don't want someone coming in, get, getting people to think for themselves, having their minds free. And this is what the church was. It was, it was airtight control and power. And along comes people who have an encounter with the Lord, who wants the people they're ministering to to have an encounter with the Lord. And it began, it began probably before John Wycliffe and, and John Huss and Martin Luther, but it was people who became aware that there was more to life than ritual. There's more to life than us coming to church on Sunday morning. There's more to life than just having a fellowship with one with another. There's more to this that every day we have access to God. There's not many days that go by without my thinking about my own salvation and how I want my grandchildren to have have something of what happened to me when I was nine. I want them to know the transformational encounter with Jesus that I had. I, I cannot put into words that moment, that time, that when, when my salvation was so clear and powerful. I, I just knew that something was going on, and God saved me. I had no understanding of regeneration, of reconciliation, and all of the other fancy theological words, but I knew that I had an encounter with Jesus. And I want my grandchildren to have that. I want, I want other people to have that because it gives me access to God at any time. 
you are a priesthood. First of all, he says you are a holy priesthood, meaning that you, uh, you know, I don't think any, many of us walk around saying, you know what, I really feel holy today. Just got this holy thing going on with me. Most of the time we're so much about self-criticism, we don't look at ourselves. But holiness means that we are set apart unto God. It doesn't mean that we're without flaw. It doesn't mean that. It means that we've been set apart unto God for His purpose. Don't you think that the Lord wants us every day to somehow think about this, to say, Lord, I'm set apart unto you. What do you want to do in my life today? What do you want me to be about today? This is this incredible thing that you provided when you died on the cross and the veil was ripped from top to bottom and you usher everyone who comes to you into this access to God, access to the kingdom of God, heaven. We have a distinctiveness here. When he goes about, you know, uh, Alex Clattenburg, that name doesn't probably register with anyone here, but when we, when we pastored in Florida, Penn, Florida, Calvary Assembly of God in Orlando, he and his wife, pastored the, a huge mega church at that time, Calvary Assembly of God. And she wrote a song based on you are a holy, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. She wrote a song, a worship song. But when you look at those terms, you are a chosen generation. If you're reading out of a different translation, it may say race. It's the word genos. It means a, a defined group of people by commonality. Says you are a chosen. God has chosen you. We, he didn't. We didn't choose him. He chose us. Our choosing was a response to him choosing us. He's the one that convicted our hearts of sin, and caused us to repent and cry out to God. He chose to do that in us. No one comes to God without Him drawing us. That's the truth. But He draws us, and we experience this chosenness. And you are a royal priesthood. That word royal means kingly. It comes from the word basilia. It means that there's a, a kingly access into the throne room of heaven and that we are a race of people. Ethnos is the last word. We are that race of people committed to God and we are distinctive. What do priests do? Priest goes to Father on behalf of someone else and brings the Father to that one person that we're being a mediator for, right? That means when you are at home and you pray for your family, you're doing a priestly function. That you're operating as priests. He's called us to do the same. Listen, and this is kind of like early in the Old Testament when King Solomon dedicated the temple and it was, it was fantastic. This building was elaborate. And there was the Ark of Covenant and the holy, most holy place and all of that. But even God's word to Solomon gave us an idea that God was listening to his people when he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, he said, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. That is priestly language. If my people will do a priestly function of intercession, don't you think that we need to do more intercession? More praying for each other, more praying for our world. 
You know, that we, we, I remember B.H. Clendenin saying he's, he's the late pastor of a great church in Beaumont, Texas. Uh, just a full-fledged Pentecostal preacher. And you, if you find something that's going to either be uh, an MP3 or a cassette tape, <clears throat> how about that? But he, I heard him on one tape, somebody came to him and says, uh, Pastor, don't you think we ought to get prayer in schools? He says, well, I don't see why that's a big deal. And they kind of was taken back. He says, why would we want prayer in schools when people don't even pray in their homes? He said, I'd be glad when people start praying in their homes. How about that? That's a novel idea, isn't it? We want an official prayer at school, but we don't do official prayers at home. And by the way, if you, had, if you don't realize this, children do have a right to pray at school. Pray anytime they want to. Praying for people, people groups, nations, brothers and sisters in the faith. You know, Indonesia is not in the 1040 window. We pray every Sunday night for the 1040 window, that great space uh, on our globe that has the largest unreached people groups. There's two billion people considered in, in unreached people groups that have never heard the gospel, never heard the good news of Jesus. All through those areas, North Africa, Southern Europe, uh, China, India, all of those are in there. And God is doing the work. One of the greatest revivals, I know Iran's been in the news late, but they haven't had this in the news. There is an enormous revival going on in Iran. They're having mass baptisms as, as Persian people are coming to faith in Jesus. Much of what you see, the reaction that's going on in Tehran against their government is really being fostered by people crying out to God. Are we interceding for our brothers and sisters in North Korea? Are we praying for them? Are we praying for those who are under persecution in North Africa? What about Nigeria where there's, there are modern Christians? This, when we pray on Sunday nights, we're doing priestly work. We're interceding. We're crying out to God. We're praying for them. You know, I, I want the praise team to come up. One of the lines in that last song that we did was about the, coming under our own suffering, our own trials, our own persecution. Can you, can you tell me the last time you were persecuted for your faith? Where it really, here, here's what's persecution to us if we witness someone, if someone speaks sharply back to us. And it hurts our feelings. And yet, this is only, there's only one mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. There is no other way for people to come to the Lord but through the gospel. And here we are in the greatest land of liberty and freedom. And I'm like, what are we doing with it? Who are we reaching out to? Who are we witnessing to? Who are we ministering to? Every day we pass somebody who needs Jesus. It's time for us to share the gospel. It's time for us. I watched this man, and they, and they, and they did this with all the people they condemned to burn at the stake. We'll give you one more chance to recant. And make no mistake about it, Martin Luther would have been done just that way if he didn't have a civil authority that helped protect him. 
And the way they protected him was they staged a kidnapping, a supposed kidnapping. And they hid Martin Luther in a castle, an abandoned castle, while the heat kind of came off of them trying to find out where he's at so they could kill him. So almost every voice, every voice of freedom, every voice of the priesthood of the believer was being snuffed out. And here we are, here we are enjoying what they paid for us to have. God help us. God have mercy on us. God, may you open our hearts. May you open our minds. Help, help us to see the privilege of coming into your very presence, the Shekinah glory of your presence that was veiled from the common person, but now has been opened up to all who would come to you through your death and resurrection. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in North Korea. We pray for those who are suffering in Nigeria. We pray, Lord, for those who are in Syria and Lebanon and Jordan. We pray for those who are in Turkey. We pray, God, that you would cover them with your protection. But help us, Lord, to become more sensitive to our role as intercessors to pray and, and back them up with prayer, asking for you to help them be bold in the face of fiery trials. And Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for the hesitation that we have in witnessing to that co-worker in walking across the office room, wondering how they're going to receive or not receive it. Forgive us, Lord, for not being willing to suffer any indignity simply because we know that only through the gospel can people come to know you. Lord, I pray that 2020 would be a year where we are done with making excuses for what we are not doing and that we embrace you, Holy Spirit. We embrace your power, highly favored, anointed, filled with your power. That's what we want, Lord. We just don't want to have terms spoken over us. We want the reality of the Spirit's power in our lives that pushes us past our excuses, past our hesitancy, and become truly your priesthood, your mediators, your ambassadors, in your stead, calling people, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled through Christ. Lord, may you press us this morning to surrender ourselves to your purpose and no longer avoid being an instrument in your hand with no restriction, no precondition. You may think that it's not your calling, it's not your gifting, but we're all called to preach the gospel to everyone around us, to live it out. People are not saved through osmosis. They're saved through the gospel, through the message that Christ died and was raised from the dead so that they have eternal life. We have neighbors next to us. Forgive us, Lord, for not engaging them. 
Forgive us for not engaging co-workers and students and people next to us, people we pass by incidentally in a store somewhere, and we're not really hearing the Holy Spirit speak to us. That person is ready. And we're the link. We're the connection, Lord. Help us, Lord, to truly function as your priesthood. Not just to be declared your priesthood, but to function as your priesthood. Would you stand with me? And, and Brad said it earlier. If you do not, if you have not experienced an encounter with Jesus that has changed your life, surrender yourself right now, right where you're at. Lord, I repent of my sins. I turn my life over to you. I accept your death and resurrection as the atoning sacrifice for my wrong and for my life. Wash away my sin. Wash away my shame. Wash away my condemnation. Free me to live for you. And if you pray earnestly, God will transform your life this morning. But you that have experienced that transformation, don't you want to be his instrument in his hands to reach someone? I want you to just surrender yourself right where you're at. Lord, I, I give myself up to you. Maybe we need a live group on witnessing, but I tell you what, let me just give you a simple thing to do. If you've experienced salvation, you have your story, just tell your story. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you. This week, this week, Lord, I pray that you will sovereignly put someone right in my path, right in the path of every one of us in this room, that the Holy Spirit will prompt and say, sow a seed there. That you're working in that person's life, that man's life, that woman's life, that teenager's life. You're working in that life, and it's another seed. It's water. It's, it's something that we're adding to your redemptive history that you're writing in that person's life. And help us, Lord, to embrace whatever persecution, whatever trials, whatever indignity that we experience. Help us to embrace the cost of being your priest, being your priesthood. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Take control of us, Jesus. Seize us.